Chapter Ten of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten. Lady Knollys removes the coverlet. Lady Knollys pursued her inquiries. And why does not Madame make your dresses, my dear? I wager a guinea the woman's a milliner. Did not she engage to make your dresses? I uh, I really don't know. I rather think not. She is my governess, a finishing governess, Mrs. Rusk says. Finishing, fiddle, hoity-toity, and my lady's too grand to cut out your dresses and help to sew them. And what does she do? I venture to say she's fit to teach nothing but devilment. Not that she has taught you much, my dear. Yet, at least. I'll see her, my dear. Where is she? Come, let us visit madame. I should so like to talk to her a little. But she is ill. I answered, and all this time I was ready to cry for vexation, thinking of my dress, which must be very absurd to elicit so much unaffected laughter from my experienced relative, and I was only longing to get away and hide myself before that handsome captain returned. Ill, is she? What's the matter? A cold, feverish and rheumatic, she says. Oh, a cold. Is she up or in bed? in her room but not in bed i should so like to see her my dear it is not mere curiosity i assure you in fact curiosity has nothing on earth to do with it the governess may be a very useful or a very useless person but she may also be about the most pernicious inmate imaginable she may teach you a bad accent and worse manners and heaven knows what beside Send the housekeeper, my dear, to tell her that I am going to see her. I had better go myself, perhaps, I said, fearing a collision between Mrs. Rusk and the bitter Frenchwoman. Very well, dear. And away I ran, not sorry somehow to escape before Captain Oakley returned. As I went along the passage, I was thinking whether my dress could be so very ridiculous as my old cousin thought it, and trying in vain to recollect any evidence of a similar contemptuous estimate on the part of that beautiful and garrulous dandy. I could not, quite the reverse indeed. Still, I was uncomfortable and feverish. Girls of my then age will easily conceive how miserable, under similar circumstances, such a misgiving would make them. It was a long way to Madame's room. I met Mrs. Rusk bustling along the passage with a housemaid. "'How is Madame?' I asked. "'Quite well, I believe,' answered the housekeeper dryly. "'Nothing the matter that I know of. She eat enough for two to-day. I wish I could sit in my room doing nothing.' Madame was sitting, or rather reclining, in a low armchair when I entered the room, close to the fire, as was her wont, her feet extended near to the bars, and a little coffee equipage beside her. She stuffed a book hastily between her dress and the chair, and received me in a state of languor, which, had it not been for Mrs. Rusk's comfortable assurances, would have frightened me. "'I hope you are better, madame,' I said, approaching. "'Better than I deserve, my dear child, sufficiently well. The people are all so good, trying me with every little thing, like a bird.' Here is café. Mrs. Rasca, poor woman, I try to swallow a little to please her. And your cold, is it better? She shook her head languidly, her elbow resting on the chair, 
and three fingertips supporting her forehead and then she made a little sigh looking down from the corners of her eyes in an interesting dejection je sens des lassitudes in all the members but i am quite happy and though i suffer i am console and obligé de bonté ma chère que vous avez tout pour moi and with these words she turned a languid glance of gratitude on me which dropped to the ground lady knollys wishes very much to see you only for a few minutes if you could admit her vous savez les malades see never visitors she replied with a startled sort of tartness and a momentary energy besides i cannot converse je sens de temps en temps des douleurs de tête of head and of the ear the right ear it is parfois agony absolutely and now it is ear and she winced and moaned with her eyes closed and her hand pressed to the organ affected simple as i was i felt instinctively that madame was shamming she was overacting her transitions were too violent and besides she forgot that i knew how well she could speak english and must perceive that she was heightening the interest of her helplessness by that pretty tessellation of foreign idiom i therefore said with a kind of courage which sometimes helped me suddenly oh madame don't you really think you might without much inconvenience see lady knollys for a very few minutes cruel child you know i have a pain of the ear which makes me horribly suffer at this moment and you demand me whether i will not converse with strangers i did not think you would be so unkind maud but it is impossible you must see quite impossible i never you know refuse to take trouble when i am able never never and madame shed some tears which always came at call and with her hand pressed to her ear said very faintly be so good to tell your friend how you see me and how i suffer and leave me maud for i wish to lie down for a little since the pain will not allow me to remain longer so with a few words of comfort which could not well be refused but i dare say betray my suspicion that more was made of her sufferings than need be i returned to the drawing-room captain oakley has been here my dear and fancying i suppose that you had left us for the evening has gone to the billiard-room i think said lady knollys as i entered that then accounted for the rumble and smack of balls which i had heard as i passed the door i have been telling maud how detestably she is got up very thoughtful of you monica said my father yes and really austin it is quite clear you ought to marry you want someone to take this girl out and look after her and who's to do it she's a dowdy don't you see such a dust and it is really such a pity for she's a very pretty creature and a clever woman could make her quite charming my father took cousin monica's sallies with the most wonderful good humour she had always i fancy been a privileged person and my father whom we all feared received her jolly attacks as i fancy the grim front de boeuf of old accepted the humours and personalities of their jesters am i to accept this as an overture said my father to his voluble cousin yes you may but not for myself austin i'm not worthy 
do you remember little kitty weeden that i wanted you to marry eight-and-twenty years ago or more with a hundred and twenty thousand pounds well you know she has got ever so much now and she is really a most amiable old thing and though you would not have her then she has had her second husband since i can tell you i'm glad i was not the first said my father well they really say her wealth is absolutely immense her last husband the russian merchant left her everything she has not a human relation and she is in the best set you were always a matchmaker monica said my father stopping and putting his hand kindly on hers but it won't do no no monica we must take care of little maud some other way i was relieved we women have all an instinctive dread of second marriages and think that no widower is quite above or below that danger and i remember whenever my father which indeed was but seldom made a visit to town or anywhere else it was a saying of mrs rusk i shan't wonder neither need you my dear if he brings home a young wife with him so my father with a kind look at her and a very tender one on me went silently to the library as he often did about that hour i could not help resenting my cousin knollys officious recommendation of matrimony nothing i dreaded more than a stepmother good mrs rusk and mary quince in their several ways used to enhance by occasional anecdotes and frequent reflections the terrors of such an intrusion i suppose they did not wish a revolution and all its consequences at knoll and thought it no harm to excite my vigilance but it was impossible long to be vexed with cousin monica you know my dear your father is an oddity she said i don't mind him i never did you must not cracky my dear cracky decidedly cracky and she tapped the corner of her forehead with a look so sly and comical that i think i should have laughed if the sentiment had not been so awfully irreverent well dear how is our friend the milliner madame is suffering so much from pain in her ear that she says it would be quite impossible to have the honour honour fiddle i want to see what the woman's like pain in her ear you say poor thing well dear i think i can cure that in five minutes i have it myself now and then come to my room and we'll get the bottles so she lighted her candle in the lobby and with a light and agile step she scaled the stairs i following and having found the remedies we approached madame's room together i think while we were still at the end of the gallery madame heard and divined our approach for her door suddenly shut and there was a fumbling at the handle but the bolt was out of order lady knollys tapped at the door saying we'll come in please and see you i've some remedies which i'm sure will do you good there was no answer so she opened the door and we both entered madame had rolled herself in the blue coverlet and was lying on the bed with her face buried in the pillow and enveloped in the covering perhaps she's asleep said lady knollys getting around to the side of the bed and stooping over her madame lay still as a mouse cousin monica set down her two little vials on the table and stooping again over the bed began very gently with her fingers to lift the coverlet that covered the face madame uttered a slumbering moan turned more upon her face clasping the coverlet faster about her madame 
it is Maud and Lady Knollys. We have come to relieve your ear. Pray, let me see it. She can't be asleep. She's holding the clothes so fast. Do, pray, allow me to see it. End of chapter 10